the Big Bay Network. <laughs> Nothing's going your way. You've had a bad day. It's good to keep it simple. Michelle and Seth say take a deep breath from fade to gray. It's mental. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Mental. We are back. Hey there. We're here to have a discussion today, and we brought extra people. I'm so yes. excited. It's going to be lots of fun. It's going to be lots of fun to talk about depression. <laughs> that didn't come out well. Here oh, well. we go again. Yeah, here well. we go again. Uh, I am one of your co-hosts, Michelle Collins. I'm going to allow the others to introduce themselves because, yes... We have added another co-host, so I'm going to allow them to introduce themselves. Take it away. Well, my name is P.K. Langley. What else do you want me to say about myself? Hmm. Hmm. I hail from the shores of Clearwater Beach, Florida. There you go. Where there you go. <laughs> nice and warm, and I went swimming two days ago. So. I was going to say you went swimming. You should bring that up. <laughs> and today we turned on the heat. So yeah. There you go. That's Florida. <laughs> yes, yes. But I'm very happy to be here and very thankful to be welcomed on to the team and talk about all things mental with you guys. But I think you need to go a little more in depth. I think you need to give us, on my podcast, I you have people do a back of the book bio. So this isn't a book podcast, but go ahead, give us a bio on you. A bio on me. A bio. Well, I spent uh, uh, over 30 years in ministry, and I straddled the mental health field during that time. And I have done a little bit of everything. I have done the group home scene, the management scene, the in the in the workplace scene, I've done assertive uh, community treatment teams. I have worked with therapists. I have worked with psychiatrists. I have worked with case management and just basically done a little bit of everything in uh, the mental health field. So I have had a variety of experiences and just have gained a lot of understanding and knowledge about the mental health field along the way. So it's it's a pleasure and a joy to be able to now turn around and invest some of that in in other people and help them to understand that their experiences is, is normal. <laughs> you know, because sometimes you think things in the mental health field and you go I'm going to hell <laughs> because <laughs> oh, right. it's like church. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. It is kind of yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it, it, and, and that's the funny thing, you know, because the two worlds are so parallel. Mm -hmm. And I was riding both of them at the same time. You know, I was uh, pastoring a church while I was working in a sort of community treatment team and going out into into the field and working with people with all kinds of mental health issues and. I was so over spiritualized that I didn't see all the mental health issues in my in my pews. Yeah. And and now looking back on it many years later, I can see that there was a lot of help that I could have done in that in that environment. So uh I'm I'm just I'm excited to be a part of the team and and to be able to talk about these issues and I I love you guys and I'm I'm looking forward to it. I don't think you know this, but I followed you years and years ago. Uh, it's been quite a few years ago when you were in Africa. I followed you on Facebook then and kind of followed what you were doing in ministry while you were there. Obviously heard of and 
met, I'm using air quotes, met your wife in that context as well. And so, yeah, for a long time, I mean, I've known who you are, but we never really interacted like on a personal basis. Wow. Um, that's been more recent. So, but I, not like I was stalking you or anything. But I was going to say, I was like, <laughs> that did you headhunt her? How did you no, find out about no, her? No, she <laughs> just it sounds was somebody a little that, stalkerish. No, she was just somebody I came across on Facebook. And it was before actually you wrote your book, The Cartoons. Yeah. And and I remember when those came out as well. So you you've been in in the periphery of my Facebook experience for a long long time, which is ironic because that's how most of my friends that's how I acquired most of my friends is Facebook. So cuz you know, I don't leave my house. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. That is my that is my outlet. So But Seth, you've barely said anything. Are you going to say hello or are you just I mean, I am. Here? So right, I am hello. the I am the third co-host. Uh, <laughs> my name is Seth Showalter. I'm actually the one who created this show, and by bringing <laughs> PK Langley on, I think that it's going to add a new dynamic. And, and really, what I'm really excited about this show is that every single person on it is coming from a unique background and carries specific strengths that I think is going to add a lot. Not only to the chemistry of the show, but also in how much we're able to really dive in to, to serious topics. And, and PK, legitimately, your bi, your bio kind of matches exactly what we're talking about today, right? We're Absolutely. going to talk about mental health issues in the church. In the church. But yeah. are we going to do mental minute? Are we dragging PK into our mental minutes? Woohoo. Well, yeah, so know. you say that. I don't, you don't know have no that, idea. I don't know if that was excitement <laughs> or like it was inevitability, like thoughtful okay, hesitation. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, it Seth was, has to start. I'm making Seth start. Yep. After this week, uh, so PK, we do what we call a mental minute, and we just kind of check in with each other briefly on how we're doing, because not only do we want to bring our listeners content, but we want them to know who we are, and also understanding the things that we personally go through. And this week has been very, very difficult for me. I lost someone I trained, and that was never I that I never ever predicted or expected uh it was never even in my mind's eye that I should be looking out for that but I do know that mental health and 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 life and and everything that goes on in life like it affects everybody like we all go through shit we all go through hard times right things happen and we can't always look at a situation and just go a off of its cover. And that's something that I have really been taking out of this week is that oftentimes things are much more complex and there's just so much depth to this. And this week I'm learning to take a step back. Yeah. Just to understand that things are potentially more complicated and that I shouldn't ever make a sudden judgment or assumption. Right. Right. Assumptions because make an No matter what, people you. are people. They all suffer and struggle with the same things. And yeah. we can in no way make assumptions about their lives just based on what they do. Mm-hmm. And so it it's a hard lesson to learn. I was thinking about you because I had, when you open Facebook every morning, you know, it gives you the memories 
Yeah. And I actually, in my memories, it was this morning, was a young man that I was friends with for quite a while and chatted with often. And he was a mental health professional. And mm. a couple of years ago, he committed suicide. And I remember being so incredibly shocked because I thought he was a mental health professional. Why right. in the world? You know, but again, going to what you're saying, it, it goes to that. They're people first. So we, I mean, we just can't make assumptions about people right. based on their lives or, you know, the little that we know about them. Because many of our relationships, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, many of our relationships are virtual relationships. Mm-hmm. They're through social media or through some kind of, you know, app or something. And so there really never is that face-to-face contact that allows us to really know that person at a deeper level. Right. Um, right. It takes a lot more effort, I think, in this atmosphere. So, I mean, I've never met you face-to-face, Seth. That's true. I We've been running a show together for a while now. <laughs> I have sat with PK, though. It's not fair. <laughs> I only bring that up because I know you're jealous. So. <laughs> I said it then and I'll say it again. It's not fair. Oh, see, we're going to have to do a road trip or something. We should. <laughs> we should eventually hold a conference and we'll there, run oh it. Oh, my God, we should. <laughs> we'll run it. All right, let's not get started there. How are you doing, Michelle? Uh, I'm tired. Yeah. You you guys are well aware of all my travels in the last few weeks uh, mm-hmm. cuz we've been in constant contact. So, yeah, I've been I've been away from home for 2 weeks. I just got home yesterday. And uh, I'm trying to get back into work mode and I I think I have a headache today and I think that is a result of like all of the stress of the last few weeks now coming down. So now my body goes, "Oh, good. Now we have time for this." <laughs> so, but it was a good trip. It was a lot of fun and you know, some good experiences. I got to see one of my kids along the way. So that was nice. And got to see some friends along the way, which was really awesome. So I'm okay. I'm just trying to get back into the, into the normal. So my husband literally just walked in the door a few minutes ago and said, are you not going to the gym tonight? And I'm like, nope, not going to the gym till Monday. (laughs) So that's me. It's a, it's an easier week for me. No crazy stress or no freaking out over anything coming up or (laughs) i think it's fair to say that you deserve a week out of the gym after everything that you've Eh. done and deserve or not i'm taking it (laughs) exactly well i'm just saying you i feel like you've it's well deserved yeah everybody's body needs a rest occasionally and it's i've put it through a lot in the last few months so a little bit of uh downtime is a good thing so but pk your mental minute What do you got? My mental minute. (laughs) I am with my wife and best friend of 22 years. Ashley is my, my rock, my oak, my silent partner. Most of the time. (laughs) She's Uh, quiet. (laughs) She is, she is a quiet person, but boy, oh boy, can she talk uh, when she wants to. (laughs) To you. Yes, absolutely. To me. Yeah. And, (laughs) When I first met her, she did not communicate, and Mm. uh, it took me a long time to get her to talk to me, and I will never forget the first word that she ever really communicated with me. It was was incredible, but that's another story. But (laughs) anyway, recently I've been taking on new responsibilities, and that has taken up some of our time, and Mm. so it's kind of left us in a little bit of a flux, figuring out like when our time 
is fitting in there. Uh, so it's been a little challenging and having to communicate. And my wife is not like the kind of person that is an up forward and upfront communicator. She's the person you have to draw out and say, what's wrong? <laughs> what's going on with you? Talk to me. You know, she, she's very much a nonverbal, you know, so uh, people that grow up in an environment where they're not allowed to communicate, they tend to be nonverbal and she's one of those. Hmm. So I have to draw her out. So we've we've had some challenges this week with just talking about, okay, what do you need? You know, how are we going to set that up and, and what do we have to do? So we've had some challenges this week. And then it was really, really stormy because we had the hurricane come through. And I oh, had, right. I had a, a tower that I set up on our porch from the ceiling to the floor. It was like a, a 11 foot tower for the cats to run up and get their exercise mm -hmm. And we got so much rain that it killed the cardboard inside of it. Oh. And one of the cats decided to springboard off of it and it all went kerplunk. Oh. And so, yeah, we had to tear all of that apart and, and just revamp. And then we found mold on the porch. Ew, so, no, no. so we had to pull all the cat tree stuff from out there and get a brand new cat tree and assemble it on the inside. And the cats are like in flux and fighting with each other and wanting to kill each other. And yeah. Oh, so Seth knows all about that. Yeah. Yeah. You've got, yeah, the, the Liza and <laughs> Vanelli thing. Yeah, but we've, you know, we've had a lot of flux this week. So it's it's been a little challenging. And I've felt the stress bubbles here and there. And so I've had to find mental minutes to, you know, just find my peace. And yeah, deep and breath, deep breath time. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and to make sure that I'm communicating with my wife. And I really believe in that in a relationship, you know, uh, honoring each other and making sure that you give space to each other. And if her and I are not okay, then the whole world can go to hell in a handbasket. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care. Well, that's it, the way it should be. Yeah. Those relationships have to be the most important thing. Yeah. So. Over and above anything else that we feel like we have to do or are the responsibilities because at the end of the day, those are the more important things in life. So. I think we, anyway. We are good. And because we are good, I am smiling tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're all smiling, so this is a good, this is good. See, we're doing all right today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But now that I've said we're all smiling, we have to talk about depression. <laughs> yes. Oh, Lord. Yes, we do. <laughs> uh, and we're going to talk about what that looks like in the church. Mm -hmm. I, because I, again, through personal experience, I mean, I, everybody's personal, everybody's experience is different when it comes to subject matters within the church, because we've all been at different places at different times, different denominations and so forth. But typically it's my belief and maybe I'm wrong. You guys correct me if you think I'm wrong. It's pretty much depression has been stigmatized in general, but certainly within the doors of the church. Yes. It's seen in a lot of different ways. It's seen as weakness. It's seen as lack of faith. It's seen as demonic oppression. It's seen as a lot of different things, depending on your experience. And so it's also something that probably doesn't get talked about like it should and, and brought out to be dealt with. And that is unfortunate because I think there's a lot of people suffering that don't need to be suffering. Mm -hmm. They just need to be understood, or at least that's my take on it. What do you guys think? Absolutely. Absolutely. When I was younger, I, I was a methocath. My father was Methodist and my father and my mother was Catholic. 
So I had a deep-seated belief that I couldn't complete suicide because if I did that, I would go to hell. So I was right. I was scared to do anything like that. But there is an acceptable suicide in the in the Catholic faith, and that's there is you, yes, there is. If you starve yourself to death, that's that's <sighs> acceptable in the Catholic faith. Oh my goodness, is that like considered self flagellation in some form? Or? Yes, yes. Um, wow, but, and that's acceptable. So I decided at one point uh, when I was in my early twenties that that's that's the way I was going to go. So I you know, sat down in my living room chair and looked out the window and decided I was just going to do that. And I I stared out at the clouds for about three hours and then I got hungry and decided to go eat. <laughs> so that didn't work for me. Starvation was not an option at that point. Starvation was not an option. But, <laughs> but you know, I think that um, the church at large is intolerant of defects that are not curable. And that's that's the biggest problem. So when it comes to depression, if you if you cannot be prayed for, if we can't pray it away, especially in the non-denominational sector, but uh, because it's tolerated a whole lot more when you get out of that right. de- denomination, you know, uh, you get into some other denominations, and they, it's much more acceptable nowadays. But in the non-denominational, uh, they do not accept uh, people that are broken. Uh, you come in broken, you get fixed, and then we celebrate it and everybody goes hallelujah. And, you know, that shows that we're working and that we're functioning and we're doing the right things and, and uh, God loves us. So right. you get rejected. So is it your contention then as a mental health, uh, per- in the mental health field, that depression is not curable entirely? Or is that is that overstep in the way I'm saying it? Well, I do not think it is incurable because depression has different causes. Right. So, so for some people, I mean, you've, you've got a broad range of, of causes. You've got a seasonal depression. You've got situational depression. You've got a situational depression. You know, maybe somebody has, has, is just grieving the loss of, of someone and they're looking at it that way and they're just depressed because they've, they've lost their best friend or, or somebody close to them. So these are things that we see that are not lifelong maladies that, that they've, we've got to deal with. But then there are other people that they struggle very strongly with depression uh, all of their lives and even with medication do not overcome it. And I actually had a conversation with somebody uh, this week that said, gosh, I, I hate the fact or the thought that I'm going to have to take medicine for the rest of my life. I hate it. And I said, you know, sometimes I think of it this way. I think of food as medicine and my brain sometimes needs a different kind of food. And if that helps me, then that's good. And you have to weigh that against the side effects. And if you are better for it, who's going to think ill of that? You know, it's not such a bad thing. Yeah. Unfortunately, that isn't that isn't the viewpoint in a lot of people's church experience. It wasn't in mine. Medication no. is looked down upon. Struggling with continued depression is looked down upon. It's indicative of a lack of faith, like I mentioned earlier. Absolutely. Well, and that comes down to the church's primary issue here is that they can't deal with something that they can't fix. Because right. if they can't fix it, then what does that say about their God and then subsequently their faith? Right. And so there's this matter of fact, black and white 
framework that you have to operate in. And when we talk about depression, like, can it be cured? I, I think yes, specifically in situations of situational depression. Listen, I would, I would say they don't say, uh, can it be cured in the church? They say, can it be hidden? More often than not. Because we can hide a lot of things, which we do in, in the pews. We hide we hide uh, sexual uh, promiscuity. We hide uh, the fact that we're abusing substances. We hide all these other things and we sit in the pew and pretend that, that we're fine and we're perfect. But people that are really legitimately struggling with depression will get desperate and reach out for help time and again because it hurts to have depression. Yeah. It hurts and it's hard hard. and and you're reaching out for help and you're saying, help me, help me. And so, you know, it is something that, that people don't necessarily want to hide. And because of that, it's looked down upon. Right. Yeah. Well, and in my tradition, it was, it was literally considered demonic oppression and that just needed to be prayed away. So, you know, often and I saw this happen over and over and over, people that would be prayed for, not just for depression, but for anything that was considered demonic in nature in, in the, in the church itself, you know, there was this, there was this tendency to then, like you're say, hide any behavior that was associated with it because it didn't go away. And, but we had to look right. We had to look as though, you know, God had healed us and that we were faithful because that was the expectation and we even more often than not subconsciously try to live up to expectation. Right. And especially in that, in that church setting. And it makes it very difficult because, again, you're still suffering, especially as we're talking about depression. You're still suffering from those feelings and now trying to pretend that everything is okay. And so there's, now there's an added element of anxiety and stress on you in addition to what you were already struggling with. And it, it creates an atmosphere where it's very uncomfortable to actually be in church. And that's what I found. I became very uncomfortable even being there, not because I didn't think God loved me, but because I was afraid of what other people would think of me. If you um, didn't go. And what my faith looked like. Hmm? And you feel guilty. You feel guilty yes. because you're not fixed. Exactly. feel for the majority of people, depression is not something that goes away. We learn to deal with it. We learn to cope with it. It's like having a disability in a way. You you have to learn how to operate and live with this. The issue is that the church is all about answers and, and, and providing, fixing people, right? Pray the gay away, taking all their problems away. And that's not reality when it comes to depression. So many other things you can fix, you can help, you can support. But depression is different. And, and I think that the church paints this picture that it is, it is the person's fault. And if they don't, oh, and if they don't do it from the pulpit, they do it from the pews and it's in, in their social interactions. I agree. And I, I think to some degree that's because there's a, a very integral misunderstanding of what depression actually is. I think most people look at it as situational. Right. You know, or that there's there's a reason for your depression and that reason is gone, so you should be better. But they're not thinking about an actual depressive disorder right. in which there really is no rhyme or reason. It's just something that you're dealing with. 
And, and so, yeah, they, they have this expectation of, of you should be past this. You should, you know, if you trust God. So then it comes back around to, well, how much faith do you actually have? How hard are you working towards your own recovery? Have you fasted? Have you prayed? And suddenly there's a litmus test associated with your anxiety and your feelings and your sadness. And so again, you go back into that place of hiding because you don't want to answer those questions because you don't necessarily have an answer. Right. In a lot of the cases, I didn't have an answer, no answer at all. So it became, yeah, I hid it for a long time. And even when I went and sought help and started medication, I hid that too. I didn't want anybody to know that because it felt like a breach of my faith and that that was how it was going to be viewed. Be honest, I'm the exact opposite. I didn't hide. Like I, I have talked to so many pastors, asking them for help, whether that be to whether it be social stuff or mental health stuff or sexuality. I'm like always that guy that's like, okay, help me, show me, what do I need to do? And what happens time and time again is that when I couldn't change, when I couldn't get better. The re- they didn't have resources to last that long, right? They they help people in outreaches. They don't walk with people through their situation. And that's where I continually got burnt. Right. Well, there's there's almost a lack of patience. Yes. Well, I'm willing to walk with you through this problem until it becomes inconvenient for me. And then it's like, why aren't you better yet? Because I have other things to do. I have other people to see. And I think that that becomes a problem in the church from a leadership perspective. Mm-hmm. I saw that happen. Now, now PK, you were actually a minister. So, did you see did you ever have those kind of feelings or did you ever see that within ministry leadership as far as losing patience with people not getting better, whether it's depression or something else? I still am a pastor, by the way. Oh, I know. I am too, but <laughs> I never was pa- I was never a pastor in the building. So, yeah. I was a pastor I, afterwards. I I experienced an angst in myself. Yeah, I went through phases of that. And and again, I I I feel compelled to point out that in certain denominations that does not occur. There are wonderful loving chaplains and 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 people that actually have educations, master's degrees that will sit down and counsel people and help people and be there for people right. in different faiths. So there are, this is this is primarily, I think, a problem in the non-denominational experience because there's such a driving need for perfectionism. And, uh, and a startling lack of education often. Absolutely. A religious education. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, for me, I remember... I I had a lot of compassion when it came to mental health because I was in the mental health field. So I don't think that that for me, I struggled with that as much, but I was definitely that way when it came to like substance use and and things like that. And I burnt through some kids and, um, you know, would to God, I could go back there and turn that switch, you know, because I would say things like I would preach abstinence where I could have just said, you're driving the car, you're in control. Instead of preaching that, I would have rather have preached balance and you are in control of your destiny. That would have been a whole lot better. And uh, I wish I would have known then what I know now, but hindsight is always twenty twenty. 
Yeah. But I but I saw a lot of pastors that were that way and uh, very very intolerant of anybody that had mental health issues. Yeah. So it's interesting to think about the different perspectives because I think we we tend to err on the side of being a part of the church and castigating or casting blame on the leadership of church for their inability and and forgetting again like we were talking about earlier that they're people as well. Yeah. And they're they're dealing with just as many issues or problems as we are, but we have this expectation on them that they're supposed to rise above that to help take care of us. So it's good to see it from both perspectives, I think, and realize that it has a profound effect on everybody. A- absolutely. Because because you get ingrained to do certain things, you know? I right. mean, to ascend the ladder of the faith, you have to learn how to function in that. And by the time you get there, you're so blind to it that you're just doing what everybody did before you. <laughs> so, right. you know, you're ingrained and seated in that tradition and, and uh, you just do what everybody before you did and, and you're just ignorant. Yeah. So you're passionate and zealous and, and dumb as a post sometimes, you know, <laughs> and, and uh, it's, it's a sad reality, but unfortunately you can't wrestle with somebody's faith when they're ready to listen, they'll listen. But man, you know, you try to have this conversation with somebody that's full-fledged, you know, uh, focused in the faith, and they don't see you as a person of consequence, they're not going to hear you. True. It's a good point. So I want to speak a little bit to the shame and guilt that often is perpetuated through the church in regards to mental health issues. I recall... And and I'm sure you guys know like revivals, right? Where like God, where where God shows up and and God's going to do something and we're kind of all sitting on like the edge of your seat. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like revival times? Yep. Okay. Yep. Well, Saturday evening at 7 p.m. God's going to show up. Friday night, Brian's on Word of Life Church if the real Christians show up on Fridays. So the real Christian show up to church on Friday night and pray for 30 days. Oh my gosh. There was this thing where like I was always sitting on the the seat of, um, I was always sitting on the edge of my seat in expectation that God was going to do something right. Because I was taught that if I pray hard enough, God comes through and right. I had to listen to, and I got, I was involved in the ministry right after high school. I went directly into the ministry. I tried that out for a year. And while I was doing that, like I was getting taught over and over and over again about God's providence, God's love, God's compassion, and his willingness to work with and help people. And then here I am serving, trying to do everything I can, asking for help. And then continually getting let down. And so there was always, but I was always waiting, right? It was always going to be, well, then it's going to happen next Friday. What's going to happen next week? It's going to happen at the revival in three months. It's going to happen at this next conference that's coming. And oh, did you hear so and so's coming? And, and he, have you, have you read his book? Yes, I have. Um, you know, (laughs) like I was taught to live with an expectation of God's movement. Right. And I tied that to mental health. And I think that's what the church. That's where this gets complicated and people end up getting hurt is because yeah. there is this expectation that it is on you for God to act. And yeah. then when he doesn't, well, then who's to freaking blame because it can't be God. Right. Exactly. It's your faith. Yeah. 
It's faith, brother. If you have it, you get what you need. If you don't, you're out of luck. That's how it was presented to me anyway. It's the dangling so, carrot. Yes. It is workspace righteousness. This is what we call it and identify it as. Mm. Elaine, 68 years old, when I ran into her and she had been ousted from every church she had ever attended because she wow. was broken and she could not be fixed. She was mm. socially awkward. She was borderline and struggled with depression and insomnia. Wow. And Elaine was a mess. And Elaine could not develop friendships or social constructs because Elaine was a mess. And everybody in the church knew it. And it didn't take long before they noticed that she was awkward and she was different. And she was kicked out of the nest over and over and over How sad. and over and over again. And so the very people that said that they were her family and that they were her social network and that they were the people that she belonged to, the people of God, the body of Christ, re rejected her over and over and over again because she was broken and was not fixable. That's how they deemed her. So when I met her, I had to spend a lot of time with her talking to her because she would say to me, I'm getting better, aren't I? I'm getting Aww. better. Have you noticed? Have you noticed, though? I'm getting better. And finally, I said to her, so what if you're crazy? So what if you're upside down, inside out, backwards crazy, Elaine? I love you. Yeah. I love you just the way you are. And it's okay. And you don't have to keep pounding yourself and trying to be better and trying to fix yourself. You are 68 yeah. years old. Let's just be okay with who you are. And you know, that at, at that point in her life, that message is not going to see too many years of rejection. Absolutely. A absolutely. So it's, it's kind of like what you're talking about, you know, I mean, it's just prevalent ignorance. And because of that, people with mental health issues suffer. And the thing is, is it depends. If you are severely, persistently mentally ill, you are the ones that get thrown out of the nest and you crash and burn over and over again. The ones that are just a little wobbly, they manage right. to function. Yeah. So it depends, you know, if you're a one, you kind of, you, you hang out in the pews and, and you hide it. So the, the tens, they get, they get kicked out over and over again. They get rejected. So it's, it's a sad truth and it's a, it's a reality yeah. and uh, it's group thing. Oh, for mm -hmm. sure. It's, it's an unfortunate reality. I, I think that, you know, I've heard this off and on over the years and I, I really do think there's some truth to it. And I know it's not all denominations and I, I I'm glad that you brought that up. There are denominations where these things are not as prevalent, but over and over we shoot our own wounded <laughs> You know, we're supposed to be a hospital for the sick people, you know, for the spiritually broken. And yet over and over, we shoot our own wounded. And and then we wonder why we're not successful at, at bringing more people to Christ, so to speak, or, or getting more people in the door or whatever. It's because that, that has become known that for the most part, there are large groups of Christianity that don't have the patience for that kind of behavior. And I'm saying that in air quotes, those, you know, those mental issues, those substance abuse issues or whatever the issue is, because as you're saying, as long as you're functioning, 
within your, within your problem and you can semi hide it, you're probably okay. And so I would think that goes along with drugs or alcohol or promiscuity or, you know, even, even down to homosexuality in the church, you know, there's a lot of, I I went to a church where it's like, well, we're just not going to talk about that. It's not, it's not looked upon favorably, but don't Don't ask, don't don't tell. tell. Absolutely. (laughs) So what I'm saying is though, that you, as long as you're able to function within the looking normal, regardless of how you actually feel, then you're, you're probably okay to exist in the church, never to be accepted necessarily, Mm -hmm. but to exist. But the further you go down that line towards not being able to function in your problem or whatever your issue is, then yes, the less likely that you will remain in that body. And that is a huge detriment because we're talking about real people. And actually, we're talking about the people we're supposed to be helping. Absolutely. So, and, and they learn. Uh, yes. They learn what to and what not to say yeah. after a while. It's just It's just like in mental health when you come in for treatment. You're trying to get help, but because you tell them that you abuse substances before, now you can't get the medications you need because you you abuse substances. So in the same way, you know, if you struggle with depression and you get rejected because you're too depressed, now you're going to put the happy face on at the next church you go to because everybody's going to like you if you got the happy face on. So you paint the happy face on because you can do it for an hour or two and then go lay down and go to bed when you get home. Your problem never gets solved. Your issue is never addressed. You as a person are never accepted for who you actually are. Like you were saying with that woman, what if we just loved people the way they were and didn't try and fix them and we didn't make them a project? I mean, why does everybody have to be a project in the church? Why can't they just be a broken individual? Isn't that how we all supposedly come to Christ anyway as a broken individual? But we're striving, okay, that we're earning our crowns and our mansions, okay? It's about progression oh in the faith. Goodness. It's about comparison. I mean... I'm shooting for the 70 virgins myself. But. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Seth, you sound like a, a walking Awana commercial. <laughs> Jewels and mansions and crowns. <laughs> but that is sad because you're right. That is what happens and then the people that are truly suffering and in need of help the most are actually left in the dust i want to i mean i feel like as a mental health professional on this show i need to just speak up and say this mental illness is real mental health matters are difficult religion and spirituality can be very very good things don't allow sure this to mess those two up okay (laughs) you can you can have a relationship with jesus christ god whoever i I can't speak for other religions i can your higher higher power power. (laughs) you can have your higher power and also have mental health issues and get help for it and it doesn't make you less than it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you there's just some things we have to you just have to work on to to live life to its fullest and and maybe that includes taking medication maybe that includes seeing a therapist maybe that includes working on coping strategies in your support system and network you can make this work don't separate don't feel like you have to con- continually separate the two um i just i feel like that needs to be said because Absolutely. so many people feel like they have to make a choice yeah, uh, 
Well, this is this is what I tell people that when they come into the mental health system, there are a billion psychiatrists yeah. out there. There are a billion therapists out there. There are a billion churches out there. There are a billion places to go. So if if the shoe doesn't fit, take it off and Absolutely. go find a different one. Because there is a community, there is a tribe that will accept you for you, um, and you can find it. Don't give up, and and you know, stay encouraged and communicate what your needs are up front, and you will find your tribe. Because if you communicate your needs up front and they look at you like you have six heads, <laughs> get out of there. Absolutely. I I know for me, because now I tend, because I've been out of the building for so long, I tend to look at it now as how do I need to act towards other people? What, you know, what did I need and, and how does that translate into how I should treat other people? You know, that whole do unto others as you would have them do unto you, you know, the whole golden rule stuff that we all say we live by while we're in the church, but often we do not act in that way. I think it's important that, again, we're patient with people, that we truly are working on relationship and not just convenient conversation once a week. You know, I always found that to be somewhat lazy. Now I have to work at relationships, which means I have to get to know people, which means I have to work through issues that are not necessarily comfortable. Whereas in the building, I felt like it was so much easier to just distance myself and just wave at somebody from across the room rather than you know, insinuating myself into their life and actually caring about what was happening. And, and from the other side, it was so much easier to hide Mm -hmm. in that, in that realm as well, because you just, like you said, you put the smile on your face, you move on and you act as though nothing's wrong. And then people don't ask those tough questions. Whereas now when you develop relationships, people call you on your shit, you know, as they should. And you call people on their shit as you should, you know, because you have a relationship that allows for that. I mean, I mean, I think the three of us have had some pretty good conversations where it's like, no, hold on, you know, or, hey, what do you really think about that? Or uh, snap out of it. Uh, you know, there's there's all kinds of things that go on in relationship. That's actually how we should be living with one another, you know, and developing those kind of relationships. And that means walking alongside people that may be in what we term a broken state, you know, and, and, and I'm including mental health in that because that's not... That's not something most people want to walk alongside. Mm -hmm. And I know for me, when I dealt with my depression, I I went through the whole rigmarole of, you know, trying the medication and not telling anybody and then feeling so guilty for that, that I stopped cold turkey, which of course was a whole huge, horrible situation. So then I had to tell people, I finally reached out to some people with specific giftings, I thought, that were beneficial to me and said, can you walk along this road with me? There were three women in specifics that I did that with, and they were gracious enough to do that. And they were very, very helpful. It wasn't a cure, though. It just allowed me to be me and to express what I was dealing with in a safe place and to not be told, well, you don't have enough faith then, you know. And so I think there's ways to do this that actually look very Christ-like, but probably don't fit inside the building more often than not. Just my thoughts on that, but I don't know what do you guys think. I'm so far outside of the church. <laughs> I anymore, all I do is think about my own world, and this is really good to think. But I haven't been inside the walls of a church in a long time. Me either. So I feel kind of like I don't have a place to talk. You know what well, I'm saying? Like I could talk everything I'm talking about is historical. 
And I agree with you. What I have found in stepping outside of the church is that you can still have a vibrant relationship with Jesus and your relationships are actually healthier. But that's my personal perspective and that's a whole other conversation. So what do you think, PK? uh, Well, can I interject real quick though for a second? Because I want to differentiate between the church and church because I think we tend to put those two together and they're different. I'm, I'm, we've both been outside of a building for a long time. We are never outside of the church. We are the ecclesia. So that's what I'm talking about. That's how it functions now. Not necessarily, oh, have you stepped into a building to function in that way? So I just wanted to clarify. So no, that's good. Yeah. At the risk of telling oh. a story. <laughs> tell a story. Tell a story. <laughs> yes, please. I joined the praise and worship team of this uh, 350 member church many, many years ago. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so they put me on the end of this row of women next to D. Mundy. And D. Mundy was an African-American woman that had five children. She had lost her husband to a motorcycle accident and was raising them. And D. Mundy was next to me and I was on the end. And in the first worship service when I was lost in the spirit and singing, <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah, all of a sudden this green fog from hell came and hit me in the face and it was D. Mundy's breath. <laughs> and I realized suddenly why the other women on the praise and worship team put oh me next to goodness. D. Mundy. <laughs> and I almost died. And I tried giving D. Mundy a mint <laughs> And she got the Holy Ghost and spit it out on the carpet. And she told me that she wouldn't take another mint because she didn't want to ruin the carpet. And I tried everything and just to give myself a little relief because I was the buffer between D. Monday and the rest oh of the goodness. team. I was the wall between the green monster. And anyway, uh, I ended up spending the night in a room with D. Monday on one of our little jaunts. And I got to know that woman and she became a delight to my soul and drug me all over Front Royal, Virginia to visit all these people because she learned how to go to all these different churches to get food for her children after her husband died. So she met all of these people, right? And she took me to this shack in Front Royal And we went in there and it it was a hoarder home. I mean, there were Mm. papers piled everywhere and there was just a little track pile to go in. She's she's like, come on, we're going to go witnessing. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, glory to God, I'm with you, D. Bundy. And we walked in there and there was an older white woman in there. There was a dirty mattress laying on the floor, you know, and there's this woman in there, a big chesty woman, you know, and she's standing there and and, uh, she worked in the Maryfield Post Office in Washington, D.C. Now, this is very important that you know this. And I want to normalize (laughs) humanity in this moment with Dee Mundy and this woman. She was so ignorant that she said in in the conversation, and I almost lost it, and and I had to walk outside for a minute because she said, you know how how the Bible says to stand on the Word of God? Well, D. Monday, I, I takes my Bible out every day and I puts it on the floor and I stands <laughs> on it. And I say, I'm standing on your word, Lord. I, I'm telling you, I swear to God, it's the truth. It's a true story. I live this. <laughs> and I and I ran outside because I thought I was going to pee my pants. I was laughing so hard. And then I came back in 
And she started telling Dee Mundy about how lonely she was. And she said, I befriended a squirrel. Oh, my goodness. A squirrel. Squirrel? That's how she said it. A squirrel. This cute little squirrel. And I didn't want to leave him alone at home. So I put him in my brassiere. And I, I took him to work with me. And he stayed in my brassiere all day long at work. So I'm sitting there. And I'm trying to keep a straight face. Because this woman is pouring out her heart about being depressed. And, and she's got a squirrel in her bra. In the Maryfield Post Office in Washington, oh D.C. And I'm getting a metal picture of her passing a package to a man and a squirrel tail coming out of her shirt going, shush, shush, you know? Oh I'm losing God. it. I'm losing it. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know? And I wanted to run out. But I'm telling you, in that moment, Dee Mundy taught me something very valuable about communicating with people right where they are and just loving them. Exactly. And being real and being a human being and caring about them and meeting them where they are. She didn't care that that woman stood on a Bible every day. She didn't care that she was in a hoarder home. She cared that that woman was suffering and she was lonely and she went to visit her and she took her some food. She just went to visit her and love on her. That woman that was a mess that lived in a house that looked like a hoarder home itself that didn't have any running water upstairs. That was Dee Mundy. That was my friend. And she became a dear friend to me. But And and it was comical, some of the things that she drug me through. (laughs) I had to eat pig intestines with that woman. But I'm telling you you. what, I... Pig intestines? Oh, yeah, that's that's a thing, Seth. (laughs) It's a thing. It's not a thing in my house, but it's a thing. thing. (laughs) It's a thing, and it's a story. It's a story for another day, but... But I, I'm going to tell you, she taught me. She taught me when I was young how to love on people right, right where they were at, and and that's that's what I'm getting at when it comes to depression, and and the fact that we can be real when we idolize people and we put this hierarchical model out there, you know, and and this is what's prevalent in the non-denominational church, in my opinion, is this hierarchy where we set somebody up on a pedestal and we worship them as if they were God and we idolize them. And because of that, we start this fixation on perfectionism and everybody's got to be perfect. And because of that, Everyone in that building is driven toward perfectionism. And if you're not perfect, you got to get out. So then we got to pretend that we're perfect when we're all busted up. And so we can't be real. So we're all in there faking and, you know, we're, we're desperate and that makes our worship time really good. (laughs) Because we're desperate. (laughs) Uh, Because we're definitely desperate. So, I mean, hurting people, hurting people that, that find, uh, maybe a little solace in each other at times and, and build community with each other. But it, we're just not as real as we need to be. And, and uh, we just need that reality check. So for people that are struggling with depression, I say that we're doing a disservice to ourselves by not being transparent. I, and I absolutely agree. And it's to the detriment of the people and to the church itself. Seth, you had something you wanted to say. You look like you were 
his arms were I, flailing. I know. I, I, I thought he was going to take off. I thought he was going to fly up through the screen. I, I, you know, I thought for sure he was he was going off in flight. Either that or he was what upset you... about something. Yeah, I was probably upset about something. Uh-huh. I, <laughs> mm, no. I, I want to just really emphasize that there is help. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, there's help. And... And that the church has perpetuated so much hurt. And yes, now I was filling my arms around the fact that you were saying about how bad non these non-denominational churches are. But I'll tell you what, they are really, really good at making money because this shit sells. Yeah. Uh, and it and it feeds image, a specific image sells. It, yeah. it 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 hits the specific thing within like the human psychology that like fo- like it's like gerbils you know and <laughs> well it's, and it's, it's this it's whole good thing to imagine it's good to imagine that i can be perfect someday it is it's good to imagine that maybe right. i can be like pastor pete someday and i can be perfectly polished and pretty and perfect yeah right yeah it feels good to think that and the thing about it is most of those churches they've got a wonderful worship team that really hits your emotions. And so the non-denominational movement has really like seen, I, I think it's like a emotional roller coaster, really, that you jump in on. But I just want to note that mental health issues are real and that there is help available. And you can have a relationship with Christ and struggle with depression, have mental health issues, and be okay. Exactly. It does not mean any... I'm tapping the desk. It does <gasps> not mean anything bad about you. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay to be imperfect. Yes, it is. It's actually not just okay. It's, it's normal. It, it's beautiful. There you go. Yeah. We should drum roll on the desk now. <laughs> Seth doesn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> see and he had had he not mentioned he was drumming on his own desk we never would have known because we don't do the editing so see Aha. yeah so <laughs> listeners i have criticized both of these young ladies at one point in time or another for tapping their desk while they're talking uh because if you listen back to prior episodes you can hear tapping in the well, audio point it out. i couldn't get out so anyhow Continue on, young no. ones. He's just exposing our imperfections. I know. <laughs> and, it's a one, I want, and I want you to know, it's okay. <laughs> Until he's ready it's to okay. edit, and then I'm going to get the, did gonna, you see this? I want you to listen to this. <laughs> it's going to piss yes. me off. It's going to make me a little irritated. Right. But it's okay. Right. I'm going to get a Marco Polo. This out. Yeah, I'm going to get a Marco Polo you. that says, what the hell are you tapping on the entire time? I, <laughs> I didn't say it like that to PK. I know you didn't. I'm teasing you. <laughs> but I probably did to you. You probably thought it that way. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Man. Stuff we have to put up with around here. I know. <laughs> I love you, Seth. Yeah, I love you too, PK. So, yeah, I think this is... I've been pretty quiet in this episode. You have. Uh, I have. But, I, you know... I've been very talkative, though, so thank you. You are welcome. I just think that you really needed to get some of this out. I think you've just been holding the, some of this in. Plus, you have I'm, years and years of ministry stories, so you know you really do. <laughs> and that's, that's what I'm just entertainment like. value right there. So I mean. all I've got is like pain and rejection and trying <laughs> oh, like 
Seth. That's pretty much my church experience. That's all I got. I, I could make I'm you cry. Your, like hello. I could tell you a few, a few whoppers. <laughs> okay, there's one story, and actually, this doesn't even have to Jesus. deal with mental health, but it shows what did the church does. Did you already wrap this episode up? Is that what you did? And now no. we're just like no. wafting He's into the theory. I have a story, okay. but like, okay, when I went to 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 rehab to try to like become straight, this guy started seizing in the middle of a prayer session. Oh, and yeah. do you know what they did? I think you told me this before. Do you know what they did? Uh, they yes, started I do know what they speaking did. in tongues yep. and laying hands on him yep. and praying him. And it was not 15 to 20 minutes before someone had the thought to call 911. I'm just saying the church, <laughs> the church has to have an answer to everything. And we always think it's demonic and that there's something yes. wrong with you. And I want you to know there's nothing wrong with you. And we can wrap the episode up now. I just, I needed <laughs> to share that story because it just shows the true just being oblivious to what's actually going on. It's it's and being super spiritual at the expense of your humanity. Right. Is what it is. Yeah. And and you find that a lot actually in the church. Again, not in all denominations and and I think that PK's point earlier is very very valid that there are other denominations and and I don't have stats on this so I won't throw any out, no, yeah, out any stats. Don't throw any stats out. <laughs> But uh, experientially, it seems to me that churches that are much more like like you had mentioned, PK, the non-denominational church, the leadership in those churches tend to be less theologically educated. There, there tends to be a greater preponderance of the belief of the spirituality of everything. Over-spiritualization. Over-spiritualization, yeah. yes. To the point where none of the stuff that actually happens to us as human beings is seen from that physical perspective, but only from that spiritual. And, yep. and that, that was my experience. That's how I grew up. Yeah. And and I th- again, I think it's done a disservice to the church because it has taken away some of the church's... Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? They're, they're not taken as seriously. Validity, yep. Yeah, because they have negated... All of these very real people problems to that of the spiritual, and yet they have no way to actually fix all of that. So we end up in a situation where the person either either hides it or they're or they're cast out, like you had mentioned. So it's it's a very difficult subject matter. This, I mean, depression in and of itself is a very difficult subject matter because it, it is so personal. I mean, there's markers, but it's so very individual. And then to throw in you know, God on top of all of it is, it just increases the difficulty level a hundred, a yes. hundredfold. <laughs> it really does. So, yeah. So we don't really have any yeah. answers as far as. <laughs> we just really wanted to vent about what yeah, can we're just happen vent a little. <laughs> with how the church deals with mental health issues and, and really to let you know that it's okay. Yeah. And, and at some point we have to quit running and step off of the wheel. Yeah. <laughs> and learn to to be okay with where things are. And, and understand. Actually, that's very beneficial. It actually helps. And understand that God loves you just as much as if you're on the wheel running <laughs> or you're standing on the side. It's okay. Yeah. And what you're experiencing is real. Yeah. So know that there's help. Listen in if you want to hear more episodes <laughs> to find out about 
mental health issues. And I am just absolutely thrilled to have PK Langley on as the new co-host here at Mental. I'm absolutely thrilled. And where can... Thank you. I'm going to kick this to to Michelle. Where can people find out about us? Well, we do have a Facebook group. Yes, we do. (laughs) Much to Seth's dismay, it's not as busy as he would like it to be. So get on that, people. Please, Um, (laughs) please. please. So you can find us on Facebook. We do have an Instagram as well. I don't think it's active, but we have an Instagram. We do. (laughs) I was waiting to see if we still did. We do. Um, We are actually on Patreon. So if you feel the need to support our our endeavors here at Mental, you absolutely have that option. And in doing so, you become eligible to be a part of our our Patreon Marco Polo group. If you don't know what Marco Polo is, you really need to find out. It's very awesome and very convenient. It's like texting through video. I like it that way. And so we release a lot of bonus material there for our Patreons, our Patron. Pa- I can't patrons, say that. Patrons. 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 <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, we've already released two uh, special feature stuff to patrons this month. Yes, we have. So Seth yeah. does all that. I'm going to give props where props are due. Seth takes care of all of that. So we just chatter into a microphone and he takes care of it after that. So, But lots of opportunity. Of course, you can always find our podcast here on any of the podcast. Platforms. I don't know. What are they called? Platforms. Okay. So you can tell Seth does all the technical stuff. <laughs> I just show up and talk to a microphone. <laughs> But I do want to say that I think the next one we're going to be talking about, we're going to close out depression. We're going to talk about some coping strategies, possibly, and some comorbidity, if you don't know what that word means, the interaction between other disorders and depression. So we're going to tie it up next time. So make sure you come back and join us. What do you want to say to close us out? Both of you. What do you got? Don't all do it at once. I mean, serious. Thanks for listening. <laughs> thanks for thanks for listening. And you know, come on back. <laughs> come on back. <laughs> we'll see you next week. <laughs> Bye, y'all. <laughs> <laughs>